Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. And I'm really excited today to welcome a new guest, uh, somebody I've, I've known for a, a while. I chatted to you before offline uh, and I'm delighted to welcome Abby Norman to the podcast. Welcome. Hi. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm really excited to have you here. Um, Abby is well about to become an author for the first time, and he's also, I think, a pastor. Am I right? I am. I pastor a very small church um, on the southeast side of Atlanta, but like past Atlanta in the rural area. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. fantastic um yeah and uh yeah you've written a great book which feels really really relevant uh and uh even though even if we don't talk about the book directly i think it's such an important topic right now it's strange we was just saying before we started recording how so many books that have come out this year feel like they were written for this time uh and Right. The book you've written is called "You Can Talk to God Like That," and it's a um, it's a book about the power of lament, and uh, that feels so timely right now, doesn't it? Yeah, the first. So I signed the contract in January, late January, and then the um, the first draft was due. I'm trying to remember, I think in May. And so it's like, it's a pandemic book in that I wrote it while we, like, I haven't really left my house. (laughs) Like I signed the contract. I started working on the book, the pandemic hit, and I'll turn in my last set of edits uh, this weekend. And it, it, the pandemic is still here. Yeah. um, And yeah, and I looked on Amazon for it because you can pre-order it right now. You can. Uh, says that it's released in the UK in July next year. Um, I don't know what the release date of the, in the US is, but it probably it might be. It's probably different because it's May. The release date is, I think, it's either the fourteenth or the eighteenth of May. Ah, right. So it's next year, which is going to be really interesting because the world's going to be different next year as well like i mean the, the way the rate that things change now uh and with an election potentially you know um, yes yeah um yeah and we hope that goes the right way obviously uh um <laughs> um hope this might, i don't know when this is going to go out this might go out after the election this would be, which would be quite funny <sighs> um, <laughs> it depends <laughs> uh, Just depends. yeah so it's going to be an time when that comes when that comes out um but but yeah i mean this year has been and i've talked about this on the show with other people uh, it's just been one long grief experience one long trauma collective trauma Um, yeah and there's it's strange right because there's a collective trauma and also some of us are having very deeply personal trauma um and it's like the big griefs right like losing people and and then it's also like the teeny tiny griefs, um, like uh, it's fall and every fall 
my kids and I go to the pumpkin patch and it's like one of the two or three events that we go with with this friend who's been a family friend forever and it like kind of keeps us in touch with her life and that got canceled and just like yeah there's there's just so many things to grieve and we're so bad at it anyway Mm. that um like i i've been thinking a lot about how um I mean, I just feel like there's less time than ever to grieve. I work. My husband works. Both my kids are online schooling from my house. Um, You know, I can't go anywhere. I can't be with myself ever. And so I think there's going to be so much sort of like pent up grief as we try to get back to normal. Like I'm I'm wondering how and when and where that's going to pop up in our lives. Mm. Yeah, that's something I've been reflecting on a a lot because I'm writing a book which is exploring grief and transformation and why we need to name our grief and feel it and experience it and listen to it rather than build structures around it. Um, and try to ignore it, which is what our culture kind of trains us to do. Right. And so what I've seen a lot is people just like minimizing their losses. Mm. And and that is that's that's not gonna work. Like if it's sad for you, it's it's really sad for you. And instead of like dealing with it and talking about it and just being like deeply sad about it, we end up sort of bringing it up for years and years and years and then immediately being like, but, but, but it wasn't that bad, but so many people have it so much worse, but, but, but it's really okay. And it's like, this is the 15th time you've brought it up. So like, maybe it's not okay. Like maybe we can explore that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We need to talk about grief. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much grief right now. Um, I have found myself lamenting on Twitter quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like how long, how long, you know, how much more, you know. Um, yeah, because that's that's what we need to do, you know. And you talk about lament. And, um, I mean, there's a whole book of lament in the Bible, you know, lamentation. Right. Uh, and some of the Psalms, part of the Psalms are laments as well. And it's a third. A third yeah. of the Psalms are lament. Exactly. A third of the Psalms, right? That's so, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, and how many songs of lament do we have in, you know, in the church now? Like, I don't even know any. Like, well, my mom and I, um, I, I was doing a, a, um, it was like the main speaker at a women's conference uh, near my hometown. And so uh, my mom came and then somebody was talking about it. Actually, this is where the idea of like, oh, maybe I need to write a book about lament showed up because these women who had been just like faithful church going um, deeply in love with Jesus, the whole bit, they were like really at a loss to even talk about lament and when I started talking about it they got really uncomfortable 
And so we started looking in the Bible, like at places like, oh, look, this says here and over here, it's, this is okay. Like, this is an okay thing to do. Jesus did it, the whole thing. And then me and my mom went through like four different kinds of hymnals. Um, My mom loves hymns. And so she has like hymnals at her house and like between like four different churches hymnals, we could only find like two or three songs of lament and they all were connected to like, these are songs we sing on good Friday. Mm. And that, that was it. That was all there was. And so we talked about it a little more. Um, and I would say the songs that I know that are except that we sing in church that are lament songs are from, um, are African-American spirituals. Mm. But that's about it. Right. Like we don't have language for it. We don't have songs we know. Um, We have no practices for it, right? Like lament is something that should be in an ideal world, like embedded into your faith. It is something that we could pass down from one to another. It is uh, a way of being in the world that we don't know how to do because we've never seen anyone do it. Mm. So prayer practices are deeply personal and also communal and cultural. So we, I was not raised to learn. Like I didn't watch anyone publicly lament. That's not something that I got to do. So when it comes time to do it and you really need to do it, it's like you don't have access for to the 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 ways that your words should go, the ways that your body can go, like the sound of it. It's also foreign to us. Mm. It really is, and it's it's really sad. Um, it kind of breaks my heart a bit. Um, now, having been through the journey of processing grief and trauma and doing the work on it um, and seeing how it can transform us. Right. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's it's sad to, uh, to hear that other people don't go through that and don't have that and, that all that pain is there and that they could just deal with it, but they, but they don't. Yeah. Right. And some of it is like, they don't know how to. And a lot of it is that they think that it's not faithful. Like they mm. want so desperately to be good, to be good Christians. Um, and then you get there, you know, and there's no there, there, there's no like, Oh, I'm living the good Christian life. And so like, like there will be no pain for me anymore. Like that's not real, even if we have sort of been promised it. And then not only that, but you're left with like the shame of it, the shame of being sad, the shame of being like, I understand that God gave me this life or whatever, but this is crap. Like you, you can't say that you're not allowed. Um, and and no one – it's so funny to me. I've had a little bit of pushback already where people are like, well, who taught you that? And I'm like, okay, so I can't pinpoint it. I can't say, like, 
in the fourth grade, this was said to me by my Sunday school teacher, you know, but it's like more like, well, you never see anyone do it. And if you are crying in church, you, you watch your mom go hide in the bathroom. So you learn like, that's what you do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you guess we've been indoctrinated in our culture uh, and our religion to build around the pain, not to go into the pain. The pain is bad. The, the, the feeling pain is bad and we should try and avoid it at all costs and we should try and escape from it. Uh, so much so that we start to do it without even realizing we're doing it. Right. And um, we sh- certainly shouldn't like tell other people we're in pain because yeah. that would be like admitting somehow that God's not good. Mm, yeah. Because, uh, and there's my sarcastic, my sarcasm, my sarcasm coming up. Like, is I say, well, God didn't, God doesn't, uh, God, God stopped His own son from feeling pain, didn't He? Right, no. <laughs> right. And Jesus, to be clear, begged God not to do that. Like that is in there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and what, I mean, I'm always interested with this story of Jesus because he he chooses not to numb the pain. He's offered like he's offered vinegar to numb. The pain uh, to numb, not just the physical pain, but the emotional, mental, psychological pain right. that he's carrying. And he doesn't. He right. chooses and to he, And he often, like, finds people who are in pain and engages with them, you know, and refuses to ignore them. Mm. It's all there if people look for it. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, what's your experience of learning to from your own kind of story of, of, of learning to move into the pain and lean into it? Um, so I got really, really sick when I was 13. Um, I had what would eventually be diagnosed as fibromyalgia, but it was 1996. Um, that was not really a popular diagnosis for anyone. Like we didn't understand it. And what we did understand of fibromyalgia was that happened to women between the ages of like 40 and 60. And so I was, uh, sick. I just was sick. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, I was exhausted all the time. I was in pain a lot. I was not going to school very much. Um, that caused a pretty deep depression which of course, you know, uh, then we had to sort out. So then the pediatricians latched onto that cause they could explain it. So then we had to sort out like, is she depressed? Cause she's sick. Is she sick? Cause she's depressed. Meanwhile, all of that was happening. Um, and my church home was experiencing like a sort of revival and they would have prayer gatherings and people would be healed. And so every month I would like trudge myself up to the front of the, um, to the front and people would lay hands on me and they would ask that I be healed. And like every month I was not healed. And I mean, this was going on, this went on for like two years and the, the distinct moment Um, that I think shaped my faith forever, that I'm so grateful for. My mom and I were sitting in my living room, and she was like, uh, we were talking about it. We were talking about, you know, I don't feel good, blah, blah, blah. 
this, that, and the other. And she just looked at me and she said, Abby, are you mad at God? I was like horrified that she knew my secret, you know, like I was good. I wanted to be good. I wanted to be faithful. I wanted to be a woman, grow up to be a woman of God, you know? And I just looked at her and I like nodded my head and I started sobbing. And she looked at me and she said, me too. I'm mad at God too. I'm so mad God hasn't healed you. And then she like opened up her Bible and she was like, and David was mad at God. Look what David said to God. Look what's in our Bible. And I think that moment saved my faith. <laughs> like forever. Yeah, that's profound. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I was like, oh my, like, I was so afraid. When she asked me if I was mad at God, I was like, I'm, I'm in trouble. Like, I'm so bad. There's no going back you know, from being this mad at God and to hear her just say like, yup, me too, man. Um, later when I was in seminary, my professor said, and I, I cling to this and I love it so much. He says that as long as you're talking to God and not about God, it doesn't matter what you say, you're being faithful. Ooh, like, I love that. Yeah. Cause you're engaging in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, and actually talking to God is sometimes more difficult, right. <laughs> especially if you're suffering. Right. You know? Well, expect right. Think about human conflict. Like, how much easier is it when you're in conflict with someone, even somebody that you love, to talk to someone else about them hmm. than it is to talk to them about the conflict? Like that's yeah. so hard. It is. It really is. It's, uh, yeah. And so I even think it's faithful. Like, I think your lament sometimes can start with like, God, I am, I cannot talk to you about this. Like, I'm so mad. Like, I can't even have, God, I cannot even have this conversation with you. I just need you to know I'm so pissed at you. Like, I think that's a faithful prayer. I think it is. I think it is. I mean, I, I, a lot of my prayers have been like that ever since I was a kid. Like, I I went through a major childhood trauma. Like, it was really nasty at home all the time. It was nasty at school. I basically got no respite from, from, from it. And the only person I could talk to at that time was God. And I'd just go and tell him about my day mm -hmm. because I had to tell about my day. And, you know, as I got older, I kind of... It was like, come on, what's going on? Why, why is this happening? You know, you've got something. I'm not just gonna. I'm not just gonna tell you that you're great just because I have to. I'm, you know, I want to. I want to know what's going on. And as I got older and started to process it, and then I lost my mother, um, who died when in my early twenties. It was kind of really kind of what the hell's going on? You know, this is mm -hmm. like, what are you doing? Where? And even in the last few years, as I've been working this through with people. I've had those moments where I've just said, like, you, this was happening. You have the power to stop it. And you just sat there and let it happen. What are you, what, why? Why is, what is that? Why is right. that? And I've never got, I've never got an answer for that. Um, and, you know, it goes through my head a lot. But, but yeah, and it's okay to ask those kind of questions. Right. And if you're not, like, I just have questions uh, to people who, like, aren't asking those qu kind of questions. 
I think that, um, you know, we, I'm like, how do you not ask those questions? Like what's going on? <laughs> like, I guess that there are like opportunities or there are people who can have a faithful relationship with God and not talk to God like that. I don't really understand that, but okay. But I just think like, this has got to be, you know, like I, well, I, I mean, even just this week in America, it's like, okay, Donald Trump is president. That's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And then there's a pand- pandemic and he's like, who even knows what he even thinks about it, but it's poor leadership on any count, you know, um, I'm in a particularly hard hit state. Uh, because our governor is especially incompetent, like extra incompetent, which is ironic because you can walk from his mansion to the CDC. So you'd think like he would have some inkling of what's happening. And then Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, give us a freaking break. Yeah. Like, it feels so. Yeah, it's like this is. It... It feels unreal. It, it, it is it's surreal, isn't it? It's just, it's almost like it's not happening. Uh, even I'm feeling it. And when in the UK, you know, what's going on over there? Uh, and we've got our own problems here because we have an incompetent government who don't care and are just kind of making it up as they go along and lying and, uh, you can't tell whether they're being sociopaths or they're just incompetent. It's, it's, it's um, yeah, it's you very can't... confusing. It's like, yeah. are you doing this on purpose or is it because you're real dumb? But like, you keep consistently doing bad things, so that makes me feel like that's on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's just like, come on, you know, how can we? How can, how do we get here? You know, like, like. You know, 2020, what the hell, you know? Um, yeah, like it's it's like there's – it's like if aliens touched down on planet Earth now, nobody would be shocked. Well, right? or, yeah, or what I keep hearing is like uh, the thing that resonates with me is like if this were a movie or a novel, like at some point the editor would come in and be like, okay, that you guys, that's enough. Yeah. If this yeah, were like it's... a television series, it would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If somebody, wrote, I always, I said this before. If somebody wrote a book or a script of this year, just literal, literal truth, right? Uh, and gave it to somebody ten years ago, they would not. They would like. No one's ever going to believe that. No one's ever going to like. That's just not really believable, realistic. It's just never going to happen. Mm-hmm. How like what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I I cried for a solid week when Trump won. Yeah, I and was... even then, if you would have handed me like, and all of this stuff is going to happen, I would have been like, well, it's going to be bad, but it's not going to be that bad. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be this bad. I mean, same with Brexit over here. We, I, I knew it would be bad, but I didn't think it would be this bad, you know. Yeah. Um, I think the worst form of Brexit, you know, threatening peace in Northern Ireland, breaking international law, 
You know, it's like, mm, yeah, maybe you should have thought of this when you were telling us to ignore to ignore uh, the experts to vote when we voted for Brexit. Like, you know, there were literally people going on the radio four years ago saying, "Don't listen to the experts. Don't listen to the facts." You know, <laughs> like literally, they said it on live live broadcast radio. Mm-hmm. And everything, all the people. They called it Project Fear because people were saying, if you do this, this is what will happen. And literally, everything they said would happen has happened. <laughs> um, so it wasn't really Project Fear, it's Project Fact because it's all happened. Yeah. Worse, in fact. Um, <laughs> and it's just people believe this stuff and they just like, they don't just ignore facts. Like, even right. though it's happening with the pandemic, like, you know. The scientists, like experts, right, say wear a mask, social distance, like that kind of thing. And people say, oh, no, it's my human right to not wear a mask. Like, don't tell right. me what to do. Or but you're how sheep. much of that goes back to, like, our lack of being able to even, like, be uncomfortable? Yeah, exactly. Even for good reasons. It's yeah. like, I'm so sorry. I cannot. I have not been taught to handle any discomfort in fact i've been taught to actively like combat discomfort on any level so if that makes me deeply uncomfortable that's not true if it freaks me out like i get it like wearing a mask makes it feel really real we don't leave our house very often i work i work from home my girls are being schooled at home uh, online not by me thank god Um, but when we do go out and we're just like the wearing the mask does make it feel very real and it makes it, it, it like puts it right in your face that like, this is not the same. And that's so hard. And I wish that we could like have those conversations where you're like, you're right. This is so hard. This is so scary. Like, looking at the truth of this is so, it makes us realize what little um, control we have. All of that is true. Let's sit with that and, like, deconstruct that instead of just being like, nope, can't handle it. It's not real. And you can see the same thing happening. So, Breonna Taylor's killers were, you know, basically pardoned uh, yesterday. And the whole world, you know, has been crying that there should be justice and there is not and there will not be. And I've I've taken a lot of phone calls today from white women who are like, I don't I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. And it's like, yeah, you don't. Like, it's horrible. The truth of the matter is that cops are allowed to kill black women and get away with it for no good reason except they can like that's the reality and so if that's the first time that you're facing this a i'm so glad you're here with us i too was late to this conversation but b you can't fix it it's it's horrible and we can do our part But, like, if you're coming in here and you're like, I just need the discomfort to go away and I just need to fix it, then, like, that that's unhelpful. Mm -hmm. Spot on. Yeah. 
And so, yeah. yeah, lament like does allow for a release valve of that discomfort. Like we at least get to say like, this is terrible and I'm deep, deeply uncomfortable. And this gives me pain. Yeah. And it's, it's really okay to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are all those, um, studies that like if somebody like hits their hand with a hammer and then they swear really loud like it actually does dissipate some of the pain like there there yeah there are like scientific studies that show that like you get hit in the yeah you like there's like some sort of physical pain and you just like scream um that 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 dissipates something that it actually lessens the pain wow that's incredible isn't it so when you yeah when you release it from your body it actually heals you Um, a little bit not all the pain but it does help yeah and it's interesting because i've talked about grief before and how there's this form of anger which is not real anger it's just raw grief and mm-hmm. that just like you just have to get it out of your system and i've talked to people who've lost parents um, and loved ones that they've had the same experience that there's just this you just have to go to your room close the door and scream right just get it out get it, and it and it helps yeah my um so I come from a big family, lots of cousins, and we would we would like stay together a week at Christmas and two weeks in the summer. Um, there are 17 grandchildren. So it's like a really big brood. And um, my cousin Rachel died when she was 21 in a car accident. Mm, um, yeah. And and we are like a, we're like six months apart. Um, and. Anyway, one of and so just like our cousins were always very close, and my sister Emily, who is very usually extremely calm, just like so relaxed. Um, I have seen her. I'm I'm definitely the one with the temper in the family. I anyway, she was doing dishes at her house. I was at her house, and it was right. It was. I think it was even before the funeral. So it was like really, you know, very close to the time that we knew Rachel had died and she was doing dishes and she had to put them down because she was like, if I don't put this plate back in the sink, it is going to be crushed against the wall. She was just like having such a visceral reaction to the grief. And I was talking with someone recently who asked me, like, what does the church do with all this? And I'm like, I think we need a grief corner. Like, I would love to be at a church where it's like, hi, I'm so glad you're here. Like, if you need to scream, like, the, there are three doors on the left. Though That's where you do that. There's a stack of plates in the back, you know, and arrows on which direction to throw them. Like... These are oh, these are right. whaling benches. Feel free. Oh, that would be so good. Right. And that was just like part of the church. Like, you know, the church tour was like, hey, here's our nursery. Here are the nursery workers. Here's how they're, you know, they're all 
background checked and say safe sanctuary certified. Here are the bathrooms. This is where you get the coffee. And this is where you cuss out God. Like, I, <laughs> yes, let's do that. Yeah. yeah. Like, just when totally you, normalized. And it should be. That's, I mean, the weird thing is that when you start doing that, it it releases something. It actually brings solidarity. Mm-hmm. And actually you don't feel alone anymore and you actually feel loved and connected more than you would if you didn't express that. Mm-hmm. It's um, That's a really amazing thing. I love that. <laughs> I would love to go into a room and just throw some plates because I'm full of pain and I just want to get rid of it. Right. Great idea. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, wouldn't that be great if someone was like, my ministry to the church is to go pick up all the plates I can find at the Goodwill so that people can have something to chuck when they need to because sometimes you need to. Mm. And like God honors that too. Like, that is also a faithful response to this world. Like, it's so amazing to me how quickly, you know, Americans can be like, those are rioters. It's like, okay, well, first of all, that's how our country started. We were rioters. So there's that. And also, like, no, it's just public grief. Like, what you're calling a riot is public grief. Is public lament. Mm. But it's like labeled so quickly as like just unacceptable and uncivilized and counterproductive. And I wonder like I see it in I see that in the church as well. Yeah. Just the idea that lament is somehow un. Oh, it's not productive. Well, first of all, I don't know how productive God wants us to be. Like, I, we don't have time to unpack that right here. But. Mm, I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do we think God need, needs us to be productive? But like, you know, that doesn't help anything. Well, it, it helps us be human. Yeah. It does. Like, yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's a huge. I mean, it's it's very strange to be approaching ordination. So I'm licensed as a pastor, but I'm not ordained. Uh, but I'm working towards that, and and it's so strange to be in the midst of the ordination track while everyone is just like, and also the church is dying. But I'm like, well, yeah, because we we lost the plot. Like some somewhere somehow, church became the place where you go to get rid of your humanity instead of like embrace it. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like the established church has to die in order for the way of Jesus to live. Well, I, I, um, like I probably won't say this at the board of Wardian ministry, but I do think very strongly like, Good, man. Like, I thought we believed in resurrection. Like, we're so 
willing to talk a big game about resurrection until it comes to let something that we love die. Like, we got to see what comes, like, as Christians who believe in resurrection and who preach resurrection as, like, the ultimate good news and the ultimate good word, when someone says, like, oh, my gosh, the church is dying, our response should be, like, ooh, I wonder what's going to come next. Yeah, because something always does. Right. Because it's going to, because we believe in resurrection, like capital resurrection. Yes. Like Jesus's resurrection, but also we believe in that as a model for the way that God works in this world. And so like, it might not be bad news that the church is dying. You guys, it might be really good news. Yeah. Because death is never the end. There's always a new beginning after an ending. There's always something that comes up, that rises up from the ashes. There's it always, that's the cycle of, it's even in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, a seed dies and a plant is born. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know everything that dies then gives birth to something new. You know, um, children are conceived and grow in a womb in darkness, mm-hmm. and loads of other sperm have to die for that one baby to live. And also uh, discomfort. As a woman who's been pregnant twice and is not my favorite thing, um, you know, discomfort. Being uncomfortable is the first sign of a baby. Like, no one is like, oh, my gosh, I feel so good. I have so much energy. I've never felt healthier in my life. Oh, I might be pregnant. No, they're like, oh, I think I'm going to puke all the time. My body is sore. I feel horrible. I'm sleeping 25, you know, like 25 of the 24 hours a day I want to be asleep. Oh, that means I might be pregnant. And yet, we don't want to be uncomfortable, even though, like, that's a pretty good sign of new life. Mm. Great metaphor, <laughs> really good metaphor. It, you know, it's uh, it's there. It's all right in front of us. We can see this all mm-hmm. the time, and yet we just want to ignore it. Like we want to kind of exist and not live, mm-hmm. because you can't. Wow, I was going to say that spontaneously. You can't live unless you're willing to die <laughs> to right. a lot of things. Like. You can't live unless you're willing to die. Like, you know. Um, right. And it's change. You know, like change is a tiny death. Like, like I read about it um, in the book. I can't remember which chapter, but I talk about how, like, when I, both when I got married and when I had, when I was about to give birth to my second daughter, I was like so weepy. Um, when I was getting married, like it was just because like things were changing. Like I was like, Oh, I will never have just like Christmas with my nuclear family ever again. Like that's gone. Or I will end with the, with my second daughter. I was like, Oh my gosh, like this, I have, I would, I'm about to significantly change my first kid's life. And, like, this little pot of three that we have is just, like, never, that's gone. And that's really hard and sad, even though, like, I wanted to get married. I was excited to have another baby. Also, there was some change there. And that is a cause for grief. And, like, yeah. it's, it's okay to be sad that things die. Like I've, I'm, um, have been working mostly in churches where either we're going to have to change a lot or we can die gracefully. 
And I believe that both of those things honor God. Like mm. if, if they want to die gracefully, I think that's okay. Or we can change a whole bunch of things. But either way, gr- the grief is still involved. Yeah. Because like the thing that we have right now is going to cease to exist. It is. And that's, you're allowed to be sad about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. I just wish I could convey and you can convey more. Hopefully I will when I write my book that, that it's okay to feel your pain. It's okay to go into the pain. Mm-hmm. Actually, that that's when you when you go into the pain is how you free yourself from its control. If you right. don't name, then you don't. Then it controls you. Um, I actually spoke to somebody else for this show, and we talked about how in the Bible Jesus names the demon like Legion, and that apparently culturally at the time, when you named something, you took power over it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful and a really profound metaphor that we need to kind of reclaim is like in, when you name your grief and your trauma and your pain and you name it and you go into it that's when you take power over it and you start to be transformed and healed yeah if you don't, if you don't name it then it will control you in some way right. or another even if that control is just your constant running from it and your refusal to go anywhere near it yeah like you're still allowing it to take up that space um, someone was asking me about advice for something. I don't remember what it was because this advice applies to everything. It's like chronic pain or, um, oh, I think it was depression. Um, and we talked about how really like the best life advice you can give anyone ever, especially as a pastor, is the going on a bear hunt advice. Do you guys have that children's song? No, we don't have that here. Okay. We don't have bears here generally. So, so or it's like a silly kids game. And so it's like going on a bear hunt and then and then you you face something. So it's like, "Oh, there's a big stack of weeds." And then the the chorus is always can't go over it, can't go around it, can't go under it, gotta go through it. so it's like a swamp or a jungle or the desert or whatever and then always like it just is like can't go over it can't go under it can't go around it you gotta go through it and it's like what doesn't that apply to it applies to conflicts it applies to you know faith crises it applies to lament um depression like everything Grief, can't go under it, can't go over it, can't go around it. Believe me, I've tried. Got to go through it. You have to go through it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So true. Yeah. And, um, yeah, as we come out of this period, whenever it ends, we're going to have to do a lot of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Start doing it now if we can. Right. You know, even though we're in the midst of it, right? It's difficult to do it in the midst of it, and you probably shouldn't do it in the midst of it. But it's going on for so long that you kind of almost have to, in a way. Uh, and yeah, 
Uh, we've got to right. start. We have doing to this. face it. We have to go through it. Yeah, and I think if we do, that's an opportunity for real change and transformation, not just in each of us individually, but corporately, you know, community, you know, the Christian faith, the our culture. If we do this well, something amazing and new could be born out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's but kind of only me. if we go through it. Yeah, that's right. Only if we go through it. Right. So one of my like, I am allowed to because of the community that I'm um working with has had 15 cases of COVID for the last three weeks and is not going up. So we are allowed to, starting in October, meet inside our building with the masks on and and no singing, which is fine. And I am wondering, like, how do we honor the time that we lost? You know, like, I don't want to show up there with the people and just be like, okay, we're back. Yay. Da, 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 you know, like there needs to be some sort of like, how do we honor the time that we've lost Mm. and I wonder that um like for my kids too and their schooling like how do you or even like their their childhood like how do we together honor the time that they didn't get to have yeah um because I think that the the cultural message is just going to be like we're back yeah you know like i don't think there's gonna be any mention of like people got married people died like my sister had um twins in february and so i got to hold them twice we live a mile from each other i should be holding those babies all the time Mm. like for seven months i haven't got to hold them that's really sad like, I don't get to bond with those babies. And that, and she's exhausted because, of course, because twins during COVID, that's crazy. But, like, what do you, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much of, like, that kind of loss that, yeah, that we have to figure out how to honor. Um, I'm a little afraid if we don't mm. that we will become, like, even more rampant consumers. Yeah. Because just. Right, because we'll just be like, but I have to get this now because what if it happened, you know, like, I don't want us to come out of this with the message like, you better do it now because who knows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's hope that more people come out of this and decide to go through their grief and their pain and their trauma rather than go around it or under it or over it or Mm -hmm. any kind of other way of avoiding it. Um, The only way out is through. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So just as we end, what would be your one word of solidarity, encouragement, um, wisdom that you want to share with people? Um, the only way to like 
prove to yourself that God is as big as everyone has already always told you is to like give God this part too. Like you, you're not going to hurt God. And you don't have to hide from God, even if you have to hide from everyone else. Like, I do get that. But you don't have to hide from God. Like, God's big enough to handle it. And I also would say, like, the thing that is most powerful to me about Jesus is that is that Jesus' welcoming of humanity and, and, and the blessing of it as coming to us as Emmanuel. Mm. And like one of the holiest things that we can ever do ever with, with our community is to also show up to them in solidarity. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Abby. Um, and, um, if you want to go and pre-order that book, highly recommend doing that. Um, and where can people find you online, Abby? I am on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and TikTok, all on at, at Abby Norman says. And I'm still blogging at abbynorman.net. Fantastic. Great. Please do go and check that out, everyone. And uh, thank you, Abby. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care. <laughs>